We've been in a series from the beginning of Genesis on foundations and beginnings in the way God established the world. We actually come to a really interesting section today, and it's, it's a change from what's been happening in Genesis because what's been happening is Genesis has been reporting to us what God has done, right? He's, he's spoken the world into existence, and, and he has created everything by his power. And then the, the place we come to today, God has his first direct communication with people. He talks to Adam, and he says, this is what I want you to do. And it's, it's a profound moment as God himself speaks but it's one that I hope this morning we won't just leave with Adam, but we'll connect to our lives and our situation and why God has us here. But I think that the big thing we wrestle with is the same thing people have always wrestled with, right? If you look at Isaiah chapter 30, starting in verse 15, God is speaking to, to people who are kind of running from him. And he says this, for thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel... In returning and rest, you shall be saved. If you stick with me, if you listen to me, if you stay with me, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. But look what people say. But you were unwilling, and you said, no, we will flee upon horses. We're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to fix this problem ourselves. Therefore, you shall flee away. And you've said, we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill, all by yourself. So fixing life and figuring it out our own way and running from God ends how? Not well. But look at verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Isn't this incredible about God? We would have given up long before God does. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of your affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears, look at this, shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then when you understand that, you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and gold-plated images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. God wants us to know his ways. And God wants us to walk in his ways. And yet how often our hearts are just like Isaiah 53 describes. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? His own way. And so hopefully as we come back to Genesis 1 and 2 over these weeks, 1, 2, and 3, it will help reorient us. It'll, it'll clear our vision a little bit, and we'll be reminded, not by something we've never heard before, but by God's word, that his ways are the best ways. And we'll hear him say, this is my way. Walk in it. Let's pray together, and then we'll go to Genesis. God, thank you for your word this morning. You are great and glorious, you are the creator of all things. You don't need any relationship with us. 
but you have made us. You have spoken to us through your word. You have sent your son in love to die for us. You have given us the gift of your spirit. You have been gracious and merciful. And as often as we have walked away from you, when we have returned to you, you have heard us. God, we pray that you would forgive us for so often steering our own ships our own way, that you would humble us, that we would come back to your ways, and that we would find the life and the peace and the joy and even the ease that you have designed for your creation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go back to Genesis 1 with me. Today's section of Genesis 1 answers a fundamental question. And it's one that human beings have asked and continue to ask. Why am I here? Right At some point among the busyness of life and all the responsibilities of life, people tend to stop and ask that big question. What in the world is happening here? Why do I have life and breath? Why am I on planet Earth? It was about 20 years ago that a pastor in California wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you heard of that book? Yeah. I'm not recommending that book, right? By the way, can I just do a quick sidebar here? Read with discernment. Listen with discernment. There is no perfect voice out there other than what we have in God's word, right? So develop discernment. But can I also encourage you not to end up on an island of yourself? Not to end up in a place where you're the one who thinks you've got it all figured out and everyone else is bad and wrong. That is a lonely and and unwise place to be. Do you know who needs to learn and grow in this room? Me. You know who needs to learn and grow in this room? You. You know who's got it all figured out in this room? Ain't nobody. Right? (laughs) Even though we all think we're normal. By the way, you think your life is normal. I'm like, balance? This guy. We have lots to learn and lots to grow, right? But that book was written, and to date, that book has sold 35 million copies. Why? Why have so many people, saved and unsaved, Christians and people who aren't Christians, flock to a book called The Purpose Driven Life? Because we long for purpose. We long to understand, why am I here? What is this this little guy doing on this big planet for these 70 years. And one of the beauties of the Bible (laughs) is that God, through speaking to us, has told us we don't have to guess about that. Aren't you thankful? I am not smart enough to figure that out on my own. I mean, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, my Bible reading right now is taking me through Ecclesiastes. And man, he wrestles with that, doesn't he? What is life like here under the sun? And then he understands what it's like in relationship to God under heaven. And so we come to Genesis 1 to answer that question. Why am I here? We are created with purpose. You were created on purpose and with purpose by God and place in his world. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. And the more you learn of your own weakness and sinfulness, the more amazing that is. Look at Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, this is God's word. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens 
and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Anybody have something that comes to mind when you read that phrase? Yesterday we were doing some leaf cleanup in our backyard and we had an old log pile and I turned it over and there were a million roly-poly, like little pill bugs underneath. The, underneath. Um, I, I think of earwigs. Oy, I know. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, here's purpose. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Skip down to verse 15 of chapter two. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. If you go back to chapter one, the first thing we see in these verses is that God is the purpose giver. We are here by God's design. He gets to tell us what we're supposed to be doing. That's why I read Isaiah, because man, do we wrestle with that, don't we? And, and no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard, how much our heads know it, we tend to grab our own lives back and think about our own stuff and our own purposes and our own direction and our own way of living life. But Genesis tells us that God is the one who gets to prescribe that. He's the purpose giver. Psalm 24, one and two says it this way. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. I think in a, in a very real way, we take comfort in that thought that God gets to be the one and we also bristle against it, don't we? And, and, and we need God's grace to help us to bow, to help us to to submit, to help us to lay down our agendas and say, God, you get to make the rules. Don't we want him to do that? Isn't he the one who's all wise and all powerful and he made it? I mean, how foolish is it when, when we have a problem with something, we pull out the manufacturer's manual, we go to YouTube to find out how to fix it, and we go back to the source often, don't we? 
And yet with our own lives, sometimes we think, I'll figure it out. I'll be wiser. I'll, I'll give myself purpose. But God is the purpose giver. I don't know if teenagers do this anymore, but when I was a teenager, I remember building model rockets. Did anybody else build model rockets? Anybody know the name Estes? Does anybody know that name? Or am I super old? Any adults, can you, can you come, go on this journey with me? No, just me? Okay, just me and Wayne. All right, Ron, thanks. You could go to like the model store and you could buy a rocket, which sounded awesome as a kid, by the way, just to buy a rocket. And it was basically this model you could put together. It was almost like a paper towel tube, you know, like this. And it came with a cone and a parachute. And, uh, and you could build it and paint it and put it together. And then um, you had to buy a launch pad. Well, you should buy a launch pad. Uh, they made a launch pad with this big metal you know, rod that you could put the rocket on. You kind of slid it down, and then you would put the engine in it. And you always wanted to find the engines were labeled like A, B, C, D. And you always, like, they would give you a span of which, which engine could go in the rocket. And as a guy, I always was like, how far could we push this, right? <laughs> and, I mean, you could shoot those things so far in the air. You, it was almost like with the engine, you gave it life. And you could, we took one, it down to the school by us, and we would light it, and then it would just, it would go to the moon. And the hardest part was you had to wait, because you had to get a day that wasn't too windy. Because when you threw those things up in the air, you know, hundreds of feet, if the wind caught it, you just watch, you just watch this thing, you'd invested all this work, you'd just watch it drift into the trees. And then you were like, mm, time to build a new rocket, <laughs> right? I think in so many ways, God has, he's built us, he's made us, he's created all this stuff, he's given us life. And we are wise to listen to his instructions and his purposes for us. Now, I'll tell you, the section we read here is what, what's often called the creation mandate. It's, it's God's direction on how to live. It's not the end of the story, but it is the beginning. And I think sometimes we jump to future purposes of God for our lives, and we forget about these. So listen to what God says about our, our purpose for our lives. The first is this to abundantly inhabit his world. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, and you'll see three verbs there, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And I remember these verses as a teenager and I was just desperately praying inside that the pastor would move through them as quickly as possible. Right? But God in his his wonder creates this incredible place that we live in. And think about the diversity and the amazing nature of God's creation. And he takes Adam and Eve and he puts them in one specific place. In chapter two, it kind of tells us exactly. And we believe that it's in like modern day Iraq. We believe that's the spot God put them. But you can tell from these verses that it was never God's intention that humanity stay in one place, was it? It was always his intention that as human beings that we would have children and that, that the population would multiply and then it would inhabit all the earth. And can you just think with me for a sec of the wonder of the world that we live in? Of the many varied places we could live? Of the beaches and the mountains and the valleys? And I, mean, I, I grew up in New Hampshire and I've lived in South Carolina. My wife is from Michigan and we spent a fair amount of time in Indiana and now, and some in Colorado, and now we're here. And it's just like this, this expanse of what God's made. And that's, that's one section of one place. 
But I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't even have my passport. How sad is that in 2022? I don't. I've been out of the country one time. But, but the wonder of the shows that you can watch and the, is like you can just see incredible places. And God planned for his creation to spread out and enjoy all the wonder of what he had made. Listen, there's not an overpopulation problem on planet Earth. We had some uh, friends from India at our house in Indiana one time. India to Indiana. If you've ever seen a population map, India has a lot of people. If you've ever seen like the expanse of like, this is how many people live here, and this is how many people, like India has tons of people. And I remember driving around the cornfields of Indiana, rural Indiana, right? Flyover country, <laughs> Kansas, that whole, driving through. And you know, what, you know what they said the whole time? There's so much space here. There's so much land. By the way, some of you find your hearts really drawn to that. You're like, I'd like to live in a place where I couldn't see my neighbors. I've driven across 114th one too many times. But it's God's intent that human beings have children and not just like enough children to survive the population or not to let it decline, but it's actually like that we would have children that it would fill the earth. I started counting pregnancies in our church right now. It's like chasing birthdays in the last two weeks. There's some you guys don't even know about. Some you can't miss. Right? We got a shower coming up, baby shower coming up next week. It's a beautiful thing the way God designed it. That, that, that people would have children, have more children than that. that would. Now that doesn't mean have as many children as you can have. There's a wisdom piece in that, isn't there? Right? Because God tells us that as parents we have a, a responsibility to parent and to provide. That doesn't tell us we have a responsibility to have older children who can be sub-parents. So, so at whatever level you as parents can be good parents, you make that decision. But God intended the creation to, to expand. And, and the word fill here isn't just, um, just like have people in that space. The word fill actually ties into the idea of civilization and, and society and government. And have you noticed every place is a different feel and a different way it works? And this was God's design. Do you know that every place that we get to go should be enhanced and grown, not just population-wise, but by our presence there? God doesn't intend us to withdraw and be hermits somewhere. He actually designed us to inhabit his world. Do, do you look around very often and just, just look in awe of this place God's made? I know it's frustrating sometimes when my son runs underneath your feet. I am sorry for that. I apologize personally as a father. But isn't it great to watch? Isn't it great to see new life? Isn't it great to see God's world? This, this is the wonderful work that many of you moms do day in, day out. You're part of this process. And it's just the way God intended it. You say, no, it's not. I read Genesis 3. You're right. There's sin. There's the fall. Yes. But part of God's purpose for making people was to inhabit his earth. And it's a beautiful thing. But God's purpose goes beyond that. It goes to our work. Look at verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God wants us not just to abundantly inhabit his world. 
but he wants us to personally take care of the world that he gave us. There's an idea in that word of subdue that's about caring for. Have you ever seen um, someone with a treasured possession? When we lived in Steamboat Springs, um, there was a joke that people would be fine if you broke into their house, they just didn't want you to break into their garage. And that's because their garage had their skis and their bikes and their, you also oftentimes saw a car carrying something on the back that was of more value than the car, right? It's very common. But if you ever watch something with a treasured, somebody with like a treasured bike or um, a gun or a car or a, there's this, there's this care, this gentle, wonderful care that they take, isn't there? And every time it comes in, if there's a speck of mud, they wash the whole thing. Now they store it carefully. Any of you have possessions like this that you, you care for? Some of you care for your home like this. God's called us to be caretakers of his world. Now think about that for a second. I said at the beginning, if you know your own sinfulness and your own weakness, you can honestly say, why me, a little bit, right? Every time I do a home improvement project, I wonder why I'm the caretaker of this home. I break something new. But God in his wisdom designed human beings to be the caretakers of his world. He gave us rule. What? Dominion is the word the Bible uses. We're we're God's co-rulers. He wanted to pick out a part of his creation to to oversee his world, and he picked us. Turn to chapter 2. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So we're, we're to rule over God's world. In a, that word subdue kind of has the idea of like taming. It's gentle strength, like meekness. Like we're supposed to develop God's world. And, and these verses talk about our responsibility. We're responsible to work it. And to keep it. I love, I love the word that, I, that comes to mind with this idea of cultivation. Any of you gardeners? Do more of you garden than built rockets as kids? I don't know. Is gardening work? Yeah, good gardening is. Some of us have, have optimistically planted seeds in the spring. Not really done much from there. And we're like, two tomatoes. What did I do wrong? Some of you are, are faithful gardeners. Do you know our role in the world is much like a gardener? And that's why this picture is so beautiful. To work it and to keep it. The word work there is, is to, to, to engage in the process of planting and harvesting and uh, weeding. And um, if you've ever been in, a, in an agricultural setting, you know that there's a whole process to, gar- to cultivate and improve it. But there's an interesting word there even beyond that. We're supposed to work it and, did you see the next word? Keep it. Do you know what the word keep means? The word keep means that there's a protection that's necessary. Now that's interesting because when do these verses happen? Before sin. Gardens needed fences before the fall. Do you know why? Because rabbits were still rabbits. Right? If you plant a garden and you don't fence it, what do the rabbits do? They get in too early. It's gone. I don't know if gardens grew weeds before the fall. I know those weeds didn't have thorns, but I don't know what the whole deal was. But there was a cultivation. Do you know that's what God has called us to do in his world? 
He's called us to fill it and build societies and and organize and meet and get, and he's called us to be part of this amazing inhabiting of his world. But he's also called us to be caretakers in his world. You and me. And do you know what he's done to that end? He's given us all gifts and skills to contribute. And no one of us has all the gifts and skills to make this thing work. In fact, if you know yourself, you know there are some big gaps that you're missing. It's one of the reasons we need each other. But 1 Corinthians 12 says that God has given gifts to every one of his children. And to every human being, there are skills and abilities that they have to improve the world that God has given us. Can I ask you this morning, what are yours? What are the skills and abilities? How are you caretaking and gardening in God's world every day? Is your neighborhood enhanced and improved by your family being part of that neighborhood? It's one of my favorite things about town days. I love getting to serve our community at Riverton Town Days, and part of it is because the community around us sees that this group of people cares, that we want to give and serve and help. It's more than just um, an avenue to share Jesus. It is that. But there's also something holy and something wonderful about being caretakers and helpers in the world that God's given us. And, and, and a calling is not just special. A, a work is not just special. I shouldn't, let me use the word work. A work is not just special because it's inherently spiritual, right? My, my work as a pastor is not special compared to someone's work as a salesman or a manager or a veterinarian or a computer programmer. I, I look around this room and your occupations are all postal worker, you know, I think I'm just thinking about people in this room. You actually have a God-given purpose to benefit the society that you're in and the people around you. Aren't you thankful for all the people that God's put in your life who do that sort of cultivating, caretaking work all the time? And isn't it cool to get to be a part of that yourself? One caveat. If in the pursuit of whatever you end up in a career that's not helping other people, (laughs) that's actually taking advantage of other people or harming other people. You should change careers. God didn't intend anybody to be in a career that for the sake of money or power or whatever took advantage of other people. But if you have a place of working and keeping and cultivating, that's a great part of God's design. I'm struck as we look at these verses that the only, that giving purpose is not the only thing God does. Look at verse 29. There's actually two sections here at the end of these verses where God gives a little further instruction. And it's interesting the way they fit together. Look at verse 29. And God said, <clears throat> Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every plant for food. The, the created world that we live in is a gift from God. That garden you tend, the grocery store that we go to, there's a, there's a gift component of that to God, from God. But look at chapter 2. Right after God gives the instructions to work and keep the garden, 
Verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So, so the world that we live in is an abundant gift from God, but it comes with some guidelines. And those guidelines are for our good. God's design is both that there would be so much for us to enjoy, but there are limits and fences that are actually a gift from God. And Adam and Eve right, ran right through that. And what happened? Made a mess. There's one last thing this morning that I'm struck with about God's purpose for us. And that is that as we work, our work reflects God's work. Have you thought about this? Your, your gifts and abilities to work are along one of two lines probably. Either to create or to cultivate, to care, to, to develop things. Some of you get new ideas. Are any of you idea people? Right? I, I don't know why I'm doing this. Nobody raises their hands today, so I'm just <laughs> continuing to... Hey, thanks, Daniel. It's not even true. No, anyway. <laughs> I appreciate that. As we sit here this morning, there are some of you that have a God-given ability to take the things that are out there and, and create something new. Some of you are very like entrepreneurially driven. You get excited about new ideas and new things. And do you know it's a reflection of God Himself, the Creator? And and everything that gets created in this world, for which I'm thankful. I mean, I'm thankful for light bulbs, and I'm thankful somebody figured out drywall, and I'm thankful for people who took cotton and like weave fabric. And I mean, that was incredible. Right? That that creativity is a function of who God is. But so is the care and the cultivation, isn't it? That, that the ability to see something that has a need to, to be built, developed, grown, <laughs> cleaned, fixed, that's all a reflection of who God is. In, in John chapter 5, Jesus was healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, and the Pharisees got all mad at him. And Jesus kind of makes this offhanded remark at the end, and he says, what, basically, whatever they think, my father's been working, and now I'm working. And he was referencing the fact that God is a God of work. Do you know I think that in heaven we'll be working? That sounds crazy, but the Bible tells us God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to work the way it's supposed to work. And I think including work. We'll serve him, and we'll serve other people as a reflection of who God is. In many ways, our work points forward to Jesus' work. Some of you get to work in fields of health and healing, even counseling, And your work is a reflection of the great work God does to heal and help and care. And our work as like caretakers, rulers, co-rulers with God and for God is a reflection of the fact that one day Jesus will rule and reign over all things. Jesus will reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. I actually think the Great Commission is an extension of what we learn in Genesis 1 about working because our relationship with God is now broken, there's actually another layer to the work God has called us to. And Jesus puts it on the table for us, go into all the world, make disciples of all people. Think about the work of the Holy Spirit, day by day. Some of us have work that feels like it's never going anywhere. We're just plotting one day at a time, one day at a time. I think that's probably how the Holy Spirit's work is on me. 
<laughs> slow, steady, two steps forward, one step back. Our work is a beautiful thing. So I wonder this morning, how can we care for and contribute to the world that God has made? What gifts and skills has he given to you? What place has he put you? There's a holy purpose to it. You say, it's just a computer. It's more than that. You say, it's just a home repair. It's more than that. You say, it's just a doctor's visit. It's more than that. You say, it's just pastoring. I don't know if we ever say that, but you say, it's just pastoring. It's more than that. It's part of the purposeful plan of God. See, we don't work for our bosses. Sometimes I feel this intense pressure of pastoring that I work for you in some way and I need to impress you and, and do a really good job. And you know, every Sunday a sermon has to wow. And I'm so lost in that. God has called me to this place to serve you, but not ultimately for you, for him. Sometimes we get so frustrated and yes, work is hard because of sin. Sometimes we get so frustrated with the world that we live in that we fail to step back and say, what an incredible place. What incredible responsibility. What an incredible privilege to get to work, to get to inhabit, to get to grow in God's world. Could we take that to work on Monday? Could we take that home with us today? On, on the drive home, could you just look around and say, man, what a privilege. As, as you see the, the pregnant moms in our church and the little kids growing up and, and as you pray for others who might not have children that wish they did and as you, as you walk in that road, could you see that as something God has ordered, something God has commanded, something God wants to give us purpose in? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. We admit that many times we feel purposeless or we're chasing our own dreams and our own ideas. Thank you for the holy work that you've given us. That these days are not just working for the weekend. They're not just wasting our time. They're not just trying to make a dollar. We actually get to be part of your incredible design in your incredible world. Well, please forgive us for the ways in which we've just served ourselves in this endeavor but help us to see the big picture of your great work. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.